morning, church. How are we this morning? Okay, so it's hard to believe, but we are already in week three of our Fall Fellowship study. Um, we are going through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, and so this morning, uh, I wanted to take just a quick second here and plug our life group ministry, because that's one of the main reasons why we have the Fall Fellowship study to begin with. Um, if you are not currently a member of a life group, I want to really encourage you this morning to get connected in that way. Um, the long and short of the story here is there are just things in a corporate setting like this that we just cannot get to. We just cannot accomplish. Okay, those things can only be found in a small group or a what we call here life group ministry. Okay, um, things like uh, intimate relationship building, uh, fellowship, um, and then just basically holding each other accountable. Okay, there's just things like that we just cannot do in this setting. Okay, um, so actually right now what I want to do, uh, Nathan, I did not let him know about this. Can you stand up for me? <laughs> Okay, everybody, if you don't know, this is Nathan Basinger. Um, he's one of our uh, Sunday morning life group leaders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's one of our Sunday morning life group leaders, and uh, right now he has several empty chairs that he'd be more than willing for you to come and fill up, okay? Um, and I know I just said that we're already in our third week, but don't let that scare you off, okay? Don't think of it as, oh man, we're already three weeks in. Think of it more like, it's only three weeks, okay? We're going all the way through November in this, okay? So you got plenty of time to catch up. you got plenty of time to get involved. Uh, go up, come up here now that you know who he is, if you didn't already. Come up, speak to Nathan. He'd be more than willing to let you know where his group is meeting, what time it is, uh, well, I mean, the time is when everybody else is meeting, but um, at least where it is, okay, he'd be more than willing to fill you in on that, okay? <clears throat> now, so, just moving forward, so today we are going to be going through 1 John chapter 3, and this is going to be verses 1 through 23. Now, this is a pretty big chunk, okay? Um, we are not going to try to uh, absorb all of this or digest all of this this morning, but we are going to read all of this, okay? Um, so, uh, Tony Evans will have, we'll, we'll be playing a Tony Evans video at the end, um, so he's going to cover more as well. Um, before we get started, though, something I kind of want to mention. So, chapter 3, at least I can, I can speak from experience with myself, okay? Uh, whenever I was in my youth, you know, because I'm such an old guy, um, <laughs> but whenever I was in my youth and I was first trying to really uh, wrestle with Scripture and everything like that, I really struggled with 1 John chapter 3. I really struggled with it. So, I want to make sure as we read through it this morning that we make sure we keep in mind context, okay? That we keep chapter 3 in context with verse, uh, sorry, chapter 1 and chapter 2, chapter two but not only that, obviously the rest of the Bible as well, the rest of the, the rest of the gospel, okay, we want to keep that in mind as we're reading through this. Uh, chapter 1, chapter 2, for, uh, John did a really good job of, you know, he's kind of positioning himself as, you know, your old grandfather that, you know, sits on the front porch smoking cigar or pipe and everything, but he just kind of, that uh, warm, fuzzy feeling as he tells you stories of old and, you know, wraps you up in this warm blanket, makes you feel all warm and cozy that, you know, everybody sins and, you know, if you say you don't sin, you're, you're really a liar, so we're all in this together and we should all, um, you know, encourage one another, you know, it's all, it's all good, we're all good, right? And it just makes you feel all warm and cozy and then you get into chapter chapter 3, and we start using words like, if you commit sin, you're of Satan, and you never knew God. Whoa, right? It just, I mean, it almost feels like um, he's just done this bipolar switch, right, between chapter 2 and chapter 3. It just feels like this, um, this different feeling as you're moving into it, okay? <laughs> Thank you, Isaac. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
Okay, so <laughs> thank you, Isaac. Um, so anyway, so we're moving into chapter three, and just like I said, just has this different feeling to it. All right. So let's go ahead and read chapter three, and we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more. Um, if you want to follow along, the words are already behind me up here on the big screen. If you do not bring a Bible with you, uh, if you look in the chair in front of you, there's a rack under the seat, right? There should be a black Bible somewhere near you. Feel free to pick that up. Uh, follow along with us. If you do not own a Bible, um, I know we say this a lot, but we want to really let you guys know this. Uh, those black Bibles are a gift, uh, so you can take those home with you, okay? So let's go ahead and read. <clears throat> like, so we're going from verse 1 in chapter 3 all the way to verse 23. Um, if you would please go ahead and stand this morning as we read God's Word. I think that's important. All right. Starting verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that in the world that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's word or God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He, just as he has commanded us. Okay? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we come this morning. Uh, we thank you for your word, and uh, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together and learn from it, and let us wrestle in it, and uh, talk about it, and just discuss things, and ask questions. Lord, we just thank you for that opportunity. Um, we just ask that your spirit be in this, and uh, move throughout this congregation, Lord. And uh, Lord, right now I just ask that you forgive me for any unconfessed sins, that way I may not be a hindrance to your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Okay, so like I said, that's a, that's a pretty big chunk. There's a lot of themes that go in there. There's a lot of things going on. Uh, so by no means are we going to try to tackle all of this. Um, I'm going to take a little bit, and then you know, Tony Evans is going to take some later on. Uh, so this morning, what I want to focus on specifically is verses 4 through 10. That's where we're really going to be camping out this morning. And um, in this group of, strip, group of Scripture, what you're really going to notice is an overall theme of the word practice. Okay? Actually, the word practice is used like six times over the course of six verses. Um, so whatever this word practice really means, John is really trying to hit home with it. Okay, well, when you look it up in the original Greek, I'm not going to try to pronounce the word because, frankly, I'm horrible at it, but um, the original Greek, okay, actually has the definition as practice being to commit to or to commit to something, okay? If you were to look at the King James Version or the King James Translation of this, instead of it saying uh, those that practice sin, would actually say those that committeth sin. Now, if you think about these two type of translations, um, it kind of gives you two different feelings, so to speak, okay? So you have this idea uh, in the uh, English Standard Version, which is what we read out of, of we practice sin or we practice righteousness, right? And then you read in the King James this idea of those that committeth sin are of the evil one or of the devil or going to hell. And it's just this idea of almost this absolute, okay? There's no way of getting out of it. It's not um, really, if you think about it, it's not really um, in light of chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's talking about if those that say they are without sin are a liar. But then you read chapter 3, if you're reading from the King James, and it's like the idea of, well, I commit sin, therefore I must be of the evil one. And it's, that's what right there with that translation makes it kind of hard to wrestle with. And it almost kind of sounds contradictory compared to chapter 1 and chapter 2. Okay, so it's a little hard. So, but they are both originating from the original Greek, okay, which is this idea of to commit to. And that's why I really like how the ESV translated it, the idea of practice. Because I think that's something that we can all um, accept easier. Because we've all practiced at things, right? We've all practiced at things. Um, and practice in of itself is kind of a two-edged sword, right? So, um, like, for example, Tisha, right, whenever she was first learning how to play the piano, she had to obviously practice practice the piano to get better at it, right? But what happens when you are taking the time away to practice piano? You are committing time, right, to learn that skill, but at the same time, you're, com you're not committing time somewhere else. You're replacing it with something else. So if you're committing time to practice the piano, all of a sudden now you've stopped committing time to watching TV or playing on your phone or whatever, okay? If you have made a commitment in life to exercise, or to a healthier lifestyle or whatever, okay, all of a sudden now you are committing less to eating tubs of ice cream. Okay? Or if you are deciding that you are wanting to commit more of your time to God and learn more about Him, spend more time in the Word, practice righteousness, all of a sudden you're spending less time committed to sin or practicing sin. 
So this morning, I think what John's really trying to get across is what are we committed to in life? What path are we committed to? Where, which direction do we want to go? Are you wanting to guide your direction? Are you wanting to guide your life in the direction of um, righteousness and holiness and uh, pursuing Jesus in your life? Or are you wanting to pursue a life of sin and death? Really take your pick. Because just if you use the same illustration of like practicing the piano, it really doesn't do you any good if you're sitting, you decide you're going to commit time to practicing the piano, but at the same time while you're sitting there trying to play, you're watching TV. Well, now you're not devoting your time to learn how to piano play. You're not really committed. So a lot of ways, that's what John's really trying to tell us this morning is which way are you going to commit your life? Which direction are you wanting to go? Now, this idea of practice... You find in front of not only like the, those who practice sin, but later on you find the idea of those that practice righteousness. So we're not necessarily concerned about your one-off stumbles or when you fall into sin every once in a while or anything like that. We're talking about what path of life are you leaning toward? Okay. In verses 7 to 8, that's actually what he's kind of saying there when he's talking about the idea of practicing righteousness. Is that you're not really going to get it perfect. You're practicing. You're committed to the end goal. But you might not see the end goal necessarily. I always find it very interesting when modern psychological terms finally catch up with ancient biblical texts. So if we were to look at CBT therapy, uh, which is actually kind of like saying ATM machine, uh, but cognitive behavioral therapy, okay, so it's a modern psychological term, right, everything, they, they have something that is very similar to this, and it's called habit replacement looping. And basically the entire idea of this is that I'm going to replace a bad habit with a good habit. And that's the entire point of this. And so, for example, uh, it's used often in like addictions for like uh, cigarettes. So if you smoke cigarettes, something like that, and you're trying to quit cigarettes, you use this idea of habit replacement looping to slowly work yourself off of cigarettes. Uh, one example that I read was that if you all of a sudden get this urge or this something deep inside you saying, oh, I really need a cigarette right now, all of a sudden what you do is you try to switch your thinking and instead of smoking a cigarette, you eat a carrot stick. Something like that, okay? So what ends up happening? Well, first you were addicted to cigarettes, so now all of a sudden you're eating carrots, so now you're addicted to carrots. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not what happens. But, um, but, the, but the idea is that you're trying to replace it. Okay, so every time you have an urge to do something, you replace it with a different habit. Okay, it's pretty easy to understand. But there's something very specific about this that you need to keep in mind, and that's the idea of, and you, I'm sure people have read this, okay, the idea of mindfulness or awareness, okay? And that's very critical in this idea, okay? So if you have this urge, if you have this need to do a bad habit, so to speak, okay, you, what you try to do is you try to be mindful of what you're feeling. Okay, so if you have this urge, you think about it, it's like, okay, this is what's happening. I know I'm feeling that I need to do this. I know that my body is really craving this bad thing. And you just try to keep thinking about it. You keep aware of what's happening around you. And then all of a sudden you can make a good conscious decision of replacing the habit with a carrot stick. Okay? So that's this idea. And by what I mean by it's finally catching up with biblical terms is if you read like Colossians 3, 2, what's it say? It says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things of this earth. 
So that's what we're talking about. Whenever we allow our minds to stay where they need to be, on things that are above, on things that are of God, on things that are righteous, all of a sudden these bad behaviors in our lives slowly start to just kind of dissipate. We're replacing them. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not talking about moralism or necessarily that your bad behavior is going to like keep you out of heaven. That's not what I'm trying to say, okay? Well, the point I'm trying to make is don't focus on the bad behavior. Focus on keeping your mind where it needs to be and your behavior will follow is what the point I'm trying to make here, okay? It's all about what you're going to practice. What are you committed to in life? And it's a daily commitment. It's something that happens daily, weekly, monthly. You have to wake up and consciously decide that today I am going to con concentrate and commit to this. Not today, Satan, right? It's that kind of concept. I remember when I was in the sixth grade, I decided that I was going to follow the family tradition of becoming a musician. So I have a lot of musicians in my family. My grandmother, my uncle, my dad were all musicians. Okay, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And so sixth grade, we got, I got to join the band, right? And I remember whenever I was trying to decide which instrument I wanted to play, I narrowed it down to two. I wanted to either play the trumpet or the saxophone. And that's why I had it narrowed down to. And I finally decided to play the trumpet, mostly because, and everybody knows this, that the trumpet players are pretty much the lead guitarists of the band, okay? Uh, they're the cool kids, all right? So I decided to become a trumpet player. And um, so I was really excited about getting my first instrument. And so, um, I don't know, who, has anyone been in band or been to like the sixth grade band concert where they play the song flute, right? The little plastic flute thing that, okay. All right, so at least so you know what I'm talking about. All right, so I remember in the sixth grade, um, we all went to the song flute concert. And it was my first concert, I was playing the song flute. And looking back on it now, I feel really sorry for my parents that they had to sit through this, you know, the name playing out of tune, just horrible, right? Just absolutely horrible. But they sat through it and they, Gave a little applaud, you know. Just, but I remember at the end of that, they had a vendor that was there to sell the instruments, okay? And I remember walking up to there and be like, oh, yeah, this is my trumpet. This is great. I mean, product placement, right? And so we were looking at this trumpet. It was a beautiful trumpet. And my parents were like, yeah, that's really great. But until you look at the price tag, like, that's nice. Let's, we'll shop somewhere else. So the idea here is that I was very excited about getting my instrument, so excited that it didn't necessarily matter because we ended up actually going to Eldon and buying a used trumpet out from like a pawn shop. And that was my first instrument. And this thing was gorgeous, so to speak. So uh, the, the case was falling apart. It was literally duct taped together before I got it. Okay, the case was, you open it up, the trumpet is at least 10 different colors. If you've never seen a trumpet before, there's supposed to be one, okay? Uh, just make sure we know that. Okay, so um, but I, was, I was still really proud about that. I was more proud of the instrument, but I wasn't necessarily ready to do the work to learn how to play it. I just didn't have that mindset. I was not committed to the idea of learning to play the trumpet, but for some reason I was just committed to the idea of owning it. So what ended up happening? Because I was not committed to practicing the trumpet, I got last chair at our first audition. Last chair. Ouch. And I stayed there till high school. So we're talking all through junior high, all that, you know. But it wasn't until high school, for some reason, I decided I'm going to commit myself to this. And between my ninth grade and 10th grade year, I decided I was going to practice. Finally. So what ended up happening? My 10th grade year, I ended up getting first chair. Crazy. What happens when you finally commit to something that you said you were going to do? <laughs> 
but it's a daily thing to recommit yourself. Because come my 11th grade year, when I had the opportunity to audition for a state band, I was prideful. I was like, I got this. I don't need to practice the music. Are you kidding me? So it was me and one other trumpet player that went. He was in 10th grade, I was in 11th. So obviously I'm older, so I'm better, duh. He comes up to me, he goes, have you even looked at the music? I like, I don't need to do that. He goes, man, I've, I've been struggling with it for weeks. Well, you can guess what happened. <laughs> we auditioned, I got fifth chair, he got second. <laughs> and I was, I was so mad. I'm like, that's just not fair. And looking back on it now, it's like, you, you idiot. <laughs> you know, but it's something like, even though you commit to it once, doesn't mean you're good. Doesn't mean you're gravy. It's something you have to commit to daily. So what are we committing to in our daily lives? Because when we're talking about practicing something, it's not something you say, well, today I'm going to commit to Christ for the moment, but then tomorrow, maybe I'll just practice a little sin. Because I want us to take really at heart what the word practice means. Okay, well, let me, I just want to re reiterate this. When we're talking about practice, it's commitment. So which side are we committing to? Hebrews 10.14 tells us, For by one sacrifice he has been made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Are we allowing ourselves to being made holy, or are we just expected to be holy? Are we committed to the process of what that takes? You know, last week, Tony Evans used the illustration of tea and tea bags and everything. Um, is anyone a hot tea drinker? Anyone like hot tea? I love hot tea. Sarah actually just bought this new thing of hot tea. It's, it's really good. It's like this apple cinnamon thing. She's currently drinking it. It's really good. Uh, anyway, I recommend that. Uh, but I have never seen, in all of my many years of drinking tea, of taking hot water, putting a tea bag in there, and then instantly having tea. I've never seen that. I'm talking about tea bags. I'm talking about that powder stuff that you stir, okay? I'm talking about an actual tea bag. You don't get tea instantly. As Tony was talking about last week, it, you have to let it abide in you, right? It has to, the tea bag has to abide in the water in order to actually become tea. But what would happen if we were to drop it in there, wait 20 seconds, be like, I just don't got time for this, and throw the tea bag out? You would have water. Are you committed to the process of letting the tea bag actually do its work so you can have tea? <laughs> you know, it's, it's all a process. It's all something that you have to understand that it takes time. We have to learn to be patient with ourselves in this. Now, something I wanted to try to keep in mind as we're, uh, I was speaking today is that, um, is that our time today, okay? We've been going a little long, um, so not having a whole lot of time for life groups. So I wanted to try to keep us a little short this morning just so we have time to go through the Tony Evans video comfortably. Um, but I still have a lot to talk about, so. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so... Um, what I want to do now is actually be just to stay in the rule of staying in context, okay? Uh, we're going to go back up, and because we were t uh, more focusing on verses 4 through 10, we're going to go back to the top here, and we're going to reread verses 1 through 3, okay? So let's reread that real quick. So chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to reread this real quick. 
See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit here. <clears throat> Back on verse 1. There's several big words in these three small verses. And the first big word I want us to really wrap our heads around is the very first word of the chapter, and that's the word see. See. John is not simply telling us to just, you know, look. Hey, look over there. No. We want to actually replace this word real quick with something a little more grand. And that's this word, behold. Take in. Really grasp. Don't take this for granted. Okay? So now when we think of this, behold. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Really grasp what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Really just let that sink in. Because if we let that really sink in of what has been done for us, then this idea of a process of into righteousness or a sanctification, okay, becomes that much more um, glorious. It becomes that much more of this loving attitude, okay, when we really take, um, take ourselves and really look at what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, His Son. Amen. Like, just really let that sink in. What happened on the cross? We are now justified through his son to where now there is no more condemnation of sin, right? In Romans 8, 1, there's now no more condemnation. So what happens now? Whenever we go through this idea of this process into righteousness, because we're trying to commit to righteousness, what happens if we fall every once in a while? What happens if we stumble? What happens if we mess up? What happens if we make a mistake? And this is what I struggled with. You make one mistake, and you're climbing the mountain, you're climbing the stairs, whatever analogy you want to use there, whatever, whatever illustration you want to put in your mind, you make one mistake, and you get the boot, and you fall all the way back down to the bottom, and you have to start completely over. Because if you commit one sin, obviously you're of Satan, you're of the devil, you've never known God. So obviously my salvation is gone! But if we can keep in light of what God has done for us, the justification that we have through His Son, then all of a sudden this process, this practicing to become more righteous, it just doesn't seem to hurt as much. I'm not necessarily saying it seems easier. It's not easier. It's always hard. But you don't have to start over every single time. We've been justified so we can be sanctified. Now verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Now the next big word here I want us to focus on is the word now. We are God's children now. Now. 
Just because you have a bad week, just because you had a bad day, does not make you any less of God's child. We are God's child now. You know, if, I, if every time Isaac were to make a mistake or Hannah were to make a mistake or anything like that, if I were to all of a sudden just shun them and say, you are no longer my son, you are no longer my daughter, I probably wouldn't be looked at as a very good father. But yet, our Heavenly Father is three times, ten times, twenty times, hundred times of a better father than I could ever be. And yet, sometimes we look at him as this, I've made one mistake, so obviously he has shunned me, and I am no longer his child, he no longer wants anything to do with me. He has sweeped me under the rug because I am just not worthy of this. And it's hard to wrestle with that. It's hard to struggle with that. But we got to keep in mind that that is not truth. Truth is that we are God's children now. Nothing can pluck us from his hand. Verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We focus on God. We maintain a hope. We get a hope. We get a hope of a kingdom to come. We get a hope of what we will become. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself. Why are we purifying ourselves? Why does it matter? Why does it matter what our actions are like? Why does it matter what I do? We purify ourselves because He is pure. And our hope points us towards the one that is perfect, to point us to the one that is sinless, to point us to the one that is righteous. Because our goal, what we need to be committed to in life, is to become more like our example that is Jesus Christ. Not that we should become as perfect as He is, that's impossible. We are not called to be perfect, but we are called to progress. We are not called to be sinless, but we are called to sin less. That is what we are called to do, and that's this idea of practicing. So it's, I want us all to ask ourselves this morning, what are we committed to? What are you committed to? Are you committed to righteousness? Are you committed to Christ? Are you committed to making active changes in your life? To repent, to turn from things that are of this world and instead turn to things that are holy, turn to things that are righteous, to have our minds on things that are above. So that we can be purified as He is pure. We have our justification, we have our sanctification. And then back in verse 2, what we're talking about here uh, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. So we have our justification, we have our sanctification, and our soon impending glorification that we will have. That is our hope that we have to live for. How does hope change how you live? What does it do to your mind? What does it do to your actions? Are you allowing the hope that is in Jesus Christ to purify you? I want to read one more group of scripture. Like I said, I was going to try to keep it short this morning so we had time for the video. Um, so this, we're going to read this group of scripture and talk about it a little bit, and then we're going to close. That's Zephaniah 3.17. helps that's a 
page 618 in my Bible. That helps. Three seventeen. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. God wants nothing more but to rejoice over us, to sing over us. He is searching for you. He is seeking after you. And he wants you. He has made it possible for us to have an eternal relationship with him once again. After everything that's happened, after the fall, after every sinful thing that the Israelites did over and over and over and over. If you want to continue to use the illustration of the stairs, you know, they'd climb up the stairs and then fall right back down them. Climb up the stairs and fall right back down them if you want to think of it that way. But yet God has endured through that and still made a way for us to have a relationship with him because he wants to rejoice over us. He wants to sing over us. So he's going to make every provision it takes to get you to him. He wants you. And he wants to see that that seed, that seed that is in you, that we see uh, back in 1 John. Now the seed that we're talking about there, it's been uh, one or two things. It's either can talk about the Word of God or the Holy Spirit. It'd be one or two things there. Um, but what we need to focus on here is that the idea is that once the seed is in us, it starts to grow. Amen. And when it starts to grow, we start to have this change of attitude. Start to have this change of perspective. We start to see things differently. We start to notice things differently. We begin to have a love that just grows up inside of us that is for our Heavenly Father. And it, whenever we allow that to grow, we allow that ourselves to focus on that. All of a sudden, our behaviors, the things that we are worried about in this world, we just slowly start to turn our back on and God has made that possible in our lives because he, he wants us. The maker of the entire universe has set up a plan to where you don't have to live in sin, you don't have to live in darkness, you don't have to live separated from him any longer. You don't have to do that. You can choose, you can commit to turning and focus on practicing righteousness in your life in order to purify yourself, to become more like Christ. You can choose God. And he's made that possible for us.